Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, whilst the other lads from Cultaholic are asking some big Royal Rumble-based questions like, who's in the Women's Rumble? Will Kenny Omega debut? Spoiler, of course not. Don't be silly. We are back in our Ica Pro Power DeLorean in 1993, where we are chronologically critiquing thanks OSW review, the early days of Monday Night Raw and asking questions like, why are they on the show? And what? And really? And oh, are you sure? And who be we? I be fake Geordie and radio presenter Tom Campbell. I be with the bear in the big blue bar cage, the head pen of Cultaholic, who has been writing so much this week that his hand has burned off. I ordered him via Amazon Prime a new hand, and the new hand came with a pencil, of which he used his new hand to crumple up and destroy, because he is the head pen. He uses a pen because he gets it right every time. Justin Henry is here in America. How you doing there, Tommy? It's all true. Everything I said just then is all true. Um, well partially true um i did order a new hand however it is still sitting on the front step because it is very 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 cold outside and i do not want to open the door oh it's cold here as well let's it's the same like honestly and the one thing i miss about being a fat lad because <laughs> i used to be much bigger than i think i think what would it be in american i think i've lost about 35 maybe 40 pounds in the last year and uh the one thing i miss about being a fat lad is i never got cold and now the winter is set in in the northeast and oh i'm having to wear gloves i guess the natural layering was definitely a, a benefit was it not i know i was like one of those big fat seals you see on uh, you, you see on videos on twitter i started following this twitter account called chunky animals and it and uh, and I wish I was the seal that I keep seeing on chunky animals. It's basically a Twitter of videos of fat animals. <laughs> that's, no, it's... that's how I spent my week, Justin. How has your week been? <laughs> so say there is a Twitter for everything. Uh, my week was fine, other than the fact that it's pretty goddamn cold outside. Um, if you Google real fast, Tommy, just do me a small favor here. Google Fahrenheit to Celsius, and okay. you should get the and you should get the converter up. 
where you just put in a number and it converts it automatically for you. Uh-huh. Okay, I'm going to do a little Fahrenheit to Celsius here. Um, okay. Yesterday saw a monumental, and by yesterday I mean Sunday, January 20th, saw a monumental temperature drop. Put in 50 for Fahrenheit. 10 Celsius. Okay. So that's how the day started because we had a bit of precipitation on Saturday night and we had that, you know, where did that humidity post rain on okay. early Sunday morning. By day's end, through a massive cold front, take the 50 out and put five. Ooh, minus 15 Celsius. Jeez. That was the that was the drop through the day. Yeesh. Gosh. Is that kind of the weather where if you, like, throw water up in the air, it freezes midair? I haven't tried that, but probably. I've seen videos of that happening. See, we're getting, like, minus one tonight, and we're all stressing about that. That's nothing compared to minus 15. Yeah. It's supposed to warm back up a bit tomorrow, tomorrow being Tuesday, and Wednesday by the time you people hear the show. But, yeah, that's a monumental – that's like the, like the free fall, Six Flies Great Adventure. <laughs> Just, and the wind, I mean, I mean, the wind was the worst part. Just, I was out and about yesterday just grabbing dinner, and I almost got knocked over. Just because it was so windy. Yes. Uh, oh, it's like Sandman doing a top rope move. I barely had the balance. <laughs> I imagine you looked like him walking down the street as well. <laughs> yes, I'm, I wasn't the only one either. <laughs> <laughs> but right. We, but but we are here in July 1993 where I can't remember what the weather was that day, but I'm sure it was a hell of a lot warmer here in New Jersey. I can imagine, yeah, because we're now like sort of what, – what, yeah, we're in June, aren't we? Did you say June? July. July. Yeah, oh, I'd hope – I would hope even in New York it was warmer. Much warmer. Probably – I don't know if you ever convert her up, but probably between 85 and 90 Fahrenheit, so whatever that would be. Celsius. I imagine it's got to be above 25. Oh, th yeah, 32 Celsius. That's nice. That's nice. Nice and balmy. That's lovely. So that is where we are for Monday Night Raw <laughs> as we continue to chronologically critique, thank you, OSW Review, uh, the, the history of Monday Night Raw. We are up to, is this episode 27? 27. 27 we have joined weeks of Monday Night Raw so far. We have joined the 27 Club. Happy 27 Club. This is the Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse episode of Raw. Ooh. That's how old they were when they died. Yes, that's the old celebrity uh, 27 Club. The it's... great artist who didn't make it past a certain age. So is this where we die? God, I hope not. Although oh, I'm that'd be annoying because I've got like I've got stuff on this week. I know I still have four rumble pieces to write as of this episode. Exactly. That'd be very mm. selfish if you died without us finishing the end of all your Royal Rumble fact um, <laughs> store articles. I can't have Raw spitting on my grave. <laughs> so let's go back in time then. Uh, episode twenty-seven of Monday Night Raw. I loved. The way it started, the way it started gave me a little bit of hope because I wasn't really paying too much attention because we watch this in our leisure time. Justin watches it whenever he does. I watch it when I do. And I would just, to give you a little bit of little backstory for what, 
uh, I was doing, I put it on this morning. We had somebody coming to visit the apartment today to fix our dishwasher. I know, <laughs> rock and roll. So I was in the process of tidying up the kitchen area for, before the dishwasher man came. So I went, I'll just stick this on and I'll watch this whilst I'm doing it. And I am immediately drawn to the first thing I see on the screen, which is... A cackling Doink the Clown. A very, very evil-looking Doink the Clown. So what happened, Justin? Much is a very simple backstage promo. Doink is uh, he's taunting Macho Man Randy Savage and issuing some very, very pointed threats because he's still upset about the events of based on this date here five weeks earlier when he when he pinned Marty Jannetty to win a two out of three falls match. Only for Savage to intervene and pull the second bogus Doink out from under the ring and, and reveal that uh that Doink had in fact cheated to win the match and any decision was reversed, giving Marty Jannetty the win. And Doink's still a little PO'd about this. So he tells Randy Savage that he's got a little surprise for him. And then he gives us his most hearty Caesar Romero slash Tim Curry laugh. Pure, beautiful evil from Doink the Clown. But why is he now suddenly bothered about it? Because this happened ages ago. Well, maybe he had an itinerary. You know, he's got dry cleaning. He's got a wedding to help plan. And all of a sudden, oh, yes, back to Randy Savage on the list. <laughs> he's, it's the busy season for clowns. Yes, it's like how Sideshow Bob had an itinerary. Threaten Bart, do a laundry. <laughs> okay, so so in this particular instance, Macho Man is Bart Simpson. I can see that. I John? can see that. If you can give us Doink stepping on a rake. There you go. Photoshop John, who photoshops some of the weird things we come up with. Photoshop John, there's your first one. Doink on a rake. Easy to start Thwack. with. It'd make it easier. Thwack. Somebody, I'm, I'm okay somebody approached me yesterday. Not there was a friend of mine. It wasn't just a stranger, and said for the very first time that day they realised that Kelsey Grammer played Sideshow Bob, and I blew their mind when I told them that David Hyde Pierce played Sideshow mm-hmm. Bob's brother in an episode. And not only that, but later on, the father of both of them was played by John Mahoney. That's so good. Got the whole family. Amazing scenes. So Doink the Clown has called out Savage to start Raw. Sadly, no Noah, Daphne or Roz, unfortunately. Oh. Daphne was a gem. She really is. But, any, but anywho. Not even um, Mancunian, by the way. She was from London. That accent was put on. Oh, it's, she's a great actress. Quite often drifted into Yorkshire, which is always quite funny. Mm-hmm. Jane Lee should go down as one of the best uh, se- best secondary characters on, on any American sitcom ever. See, what you will learn, if this is your first time uh, listening to the Cultaholic Classic Raw review, if myself and Justin spend a prolonged amount of time on something other than Raw, that means it was a bad episode of Raw. <laughs> we may go on quite a few tangents tonight. Spoiler alert, this episode is essentially... It's a bookshelf. There are two awesome-looking doink bookends on said bookshelf. And in between is a rotting bag of meat. Those two doink bookends are holding up the rotten bag of meat. Your bookshelves are weird, mate. <laughs> yeah, this is... I have books on mine. 
Well, I would have books on mine because that would be a good episode. This was the equivalent. It's like, well, why is Rock Me on a bookshelf? I don't know. Why is this episode bad? I don't know. All, all hope was lost when the opening match had such potential. It was kind of in low gear for a while compared to these two standards because it's going to lead to a rather uh, flat finish, although for storyline purposes. And and the lead-in to said flat finish was uh, kind of mind-numbing. Sh- hmm. Shall we cover this? Yes, I think we probably should. Yes, the sooner we get out of the way, the better. First, Vince points out that Stu and Helen Hart are up in the balcony. The great Stu Hart, one of the all-time great trainers, wrestlers, and overall badasses. Just, just based on the stories you've heard about him, he may have been the Canadian equivalent of Haku. But on this night, Stu and Helen Hart are perched up in the balcony of the Manhattan Center, and they look like Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. Yes, it's uh, Stu and Helen have been present for a lot of uh, Brett's matches over the years, and really, it's um, it's really just there for Bobby Heenan to make jokes. He's made some great ones over the years, like SummerSlam 91, when they were there for Brett's Intercontinental title win. When uh, Monty says, concerned look on the face of Stu and Helen, and Heenan goes, you know why they're concerned? They snuck in. They're looking out for the usher. (laughs) I mean, I think the the thing is, is that every time Stu and Helen are there, you've got either a Bobby Heenan or a Jerry Lawler or somebody just taking pot shots at them. And the problem is, like, they they can't retaliate. <laughs> and it's not that they can't. It's just that they, they're just not with it. I just feel, it feels a bit unfair. Well, I, I remember reading in Brett's book, it was around the time that he was feeding with Austin. So Austin made some derogatory remarks about Stu on the air, about, you know, his wrinkled up old man, you know, that down wrestling in his basement and Brett said that Stu always took it in stride and as a sign of respect whenever a heel had to use him to get over okay well, that's fine then so, because it's like but Stu would always try and try and have a quip back at them and we can talk more on this in the event that it happens in the episode because I'm sure Stu and Helen Hart are just there to watch Brett and nothing will happen Indeed, it is Bret Hart versus Bam Bam Bigelow, a rematch from the final round of the 1993 King of the Ring tournament, which you, myself, and our good friend R.D. Reynolds covered some time ago with a live commentary. Indeed. So if this is your first time with us. Uh, you can download our King of the Ring commentary. It's, the long, it's a very long episode because you put it on whilst we're watching King of the Ring, and it's like we're watching it with you. Yes, as already tries to find himself in the crowd wearing his Yokozuna kimono. <laughs> that was a real thing did. that happened. So, uh, first thing I noticed being the ECW mark that I am is that Luna Vashon is here. And because this episode was taped last week, Francine stole in the crowd. And yeah, like, I saw her this time. Definitely her, was it not? Most definitely Francine from off of the ECW. And I realized Luna and Francine were both feud with Stevie Richards two years later in ECW. It's like, weird how the world. world turns like that, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed he do. He's apparently on the film of Jerry Lawler. He's apparently on his way to the Manhattan Center. Of course, this was taped. Lawler's already in the building, as we know. On his way to the Manhattan Center. Maybe stop to get a bagel first. 
Didn't he stop at the Tiny Tim at a Tiny Tim special where a lot of Tiny Tim fans thanked Jerry Lawler for smashing up Tiny Tim's <laughs> ukulele? <laughs> Very well could have been the case. Although later in the show, we do have a payoff to the whole Tiny Tim thing. I know. Oh, but... I love the fact that they reference it back. Like we're, we're ready to let that go and never speak of it again. But no, we've got to pick it up again. Poor Tiny Tim. He really is like a tragic figure in hindsight. It truly, truly is. Bobby Heenan and Jerry Lawler, I feel that there is... I, you very rarely saw them on screen together. There very much feels like an alpha heel type thing between them. There's never any tension between them, but you feel like they're both so good at being these bad guy mouthpieces that they, they, they can't coexist together because they're far too similar. It'd be like having Springsteen and Rod Stewart do a duet. Yeah, it's just too much, and and nobody would fit anywhere. Can't have two alphas out there. Yeah, and they are so. It's always weird on the odd occasion where you see them interact because it just doesn't feel right. In theory, it should, but because they're two alpha heels, it just doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that wouldn't work in this, in this match. I don't know. I I. I seem to recall the match being really good up until the big turning point, but watching it, it was kind of kind of clunky. I thought this match was rubbish. I really did. I, I went in thinking, well, Brett and Bigelow had that really emotionally charged King of the Ring main event, so I'm looking forward to seeing this again. But it seemed to lack all that fire, and, and I have to say that I feel like, and oh, this is going to annoy a lot of people, because I think... Somebody leveled that everybody in Cultaholic are just like the biggest fans of Brett the Hitman Heart, just how we're all built. Mm-hmm. I feel that Brett Hart has a tendency to be very paint by numbers as a wrestler. Okay, and, that's, that's and, fair. And if you color slightly outside the lines, he doesn't know how to fix it. And it felt I felt like that Brett was going through like very much paint by numbers motions in this match, but nothing was really clicking. I don't think that's true for every match Brett does. If if it's a big match and you know, Brett's put a lot of thought into it, it's going to be an excellent, excellent match. Oh, he yeah. does go outside the. I'm not saying he can't improvise, but you know, usually you're kind of following. I would say most opponents follow Brett's lead in the match because they trust Brett's instincts, and he's almost always right in those regards. I'd like but, to say, like, yeah, that I think that Bret Hart overall is still one of the greatest of all time. But there's moments like in this match where it's obvious that he just kind of... There's some matches like you, where he just goes through the motions and you can really tell when he's well, going in, through the motions. Right. Well, in fairness, this match wasn't going to be a work of art anyway because it was going to have a screwy finish that was going to dominate the rest of the match. And it wasn't like it was a sudden thing that you know, threw the whole match off. It was a prolonged thing, which we'll cover. Hmm. I knew it was kind of off-kilter early on when Brett tried to slide through BMM's legs and mess that up. I'm like, I mean, he covered well. He had a dropkick afterwards, but it's like, oh, this might be a little rough. Um, there was a top rope spot that confused me. Was this the flying Thez press? Yeah, so Brett Hart very rarely goes to the third rope. He's a, he's a <laughs> Brett's rope kind of guy. And... 
he went off the top rope and did a Fez press on Bam Bam Bigelow. Looked like, for all intents and purposes, landed it perfectly. But yet was just, he did the move and just kind of rolled off Bigelow and was holding his leg. Well, your knee does hit the mat when you do that move. You you can, and Savage did insinuate that Brett's Brett's had a history of knee injuries. And you you hurt your knee, you hurt your knee. It could be a routine move, whatever. We get a funny moment here while Brett's out writhing, holding his leg. Heenan takes the time to plug a USA movie called Eden, and Vince chastises Heenan for plugging a movie during a match. Like, doesn't Vince do that every week? Vince McMahon does something a bit later on on this show that is absolutely, positively the greatest example of... um, of irony and hypocrisy that I've heard on the commentary <laughs> table so far. Vince being hypocritical, you're kidding. Mm-hmm. More on that later. <laughs> Back in the ring, uh, Bam gets his high angle back suplex for two. This is the point where I realized that Francine's there for a Bam Bam match, and this is pre-triple threat. She was she would manage him several years later by proxy. Shane Douglas was... must be somewhere. <laughs> At this point, he may have still been in WCW, possibly on the... Uh, actually, he, he was just starting up in ECW. And Chris Candido was lurking out there somewhere with Tammy Sitch. It would all come together in a few years. Wow. And that was and that was teased on Monday Night Raw in a weird way. Hold up the three fingers. So Bayman's getting a, a ton of punishing offense. He's just dominating this match. He, he misses a jumping headbutt. And at this point, Savage informs us I think Brett's knee is back in place. Because <laughs> apparently Brett has a trick knee that way. Alexa Bliss has a trick arm. You can just <laughs> pop it back in. <laughs> you know, he's like, hey, show the kids. Watch Uncle Brett's knee. Oh, that's disgusting. Here, I'll put it back. I call it the wind. <laughs> I call it the wind sock. <laughs> oh, Uncle Brett's being weird again, Mum. Can we go home? <laughs> No David Hart Smith. Um, <laughs> or Natty or Go play with Lance. And Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> Teddy brought in another stray cat. Anyway. <laughs> Teddy's eating it. It's weird. <laughs> Teddy and Natty love their cats, do they not? They blooming act do, don't they? <laughs> so, Brett st- so Brett takes back over the match a little bit. I think, well, actually, they go to commercial at one point. Bam has has a rest hold on. They go to commercial. They come out of it, and Brett's still in the rest hold. That's some dandy editing there. That's one heck of a rest hold. <laughs> I tell you, this is a tape show. Uh, the, the best spot of this match was not done by Brett. It was not done by Bam Bam. It was done by Earl Hebner. After Brett hits a leg sweep, goes to cover, Earl jumps over both men like he's a... He should have been on 205 Live with this leap. Jones are both men to render the count. Only a two count, however. That should have been the finish. If only for if only because Earl couldn't top that moment. I, I think I could jump that high at my age. I think I could jump that high at my age. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a good leap from from old Earl. Good Mighty effort. Leap. It's like old territorial referee Harold Harris would jump over people, but Earl may have topped him there. I know who you mean. I don't even know his name, but I know exactly who you mean. <laughs> the high jumper. God, he was great. 
He should have that pole vault stick in his hands at all times. <laughs> so, Bam has the best sleeper counter ever. Brett's on his back, so Bam just runs headfirst into the buckle like a battering ram and slams Brett's head into the post, or actually the actually the buckle itself. But Brett comes back, hits hits a great bulldog. Not just a simple put your hand on the back of their head and pull them to the mat like Jericho does, but an actual hook the, hook the head in, in the crook of your elbow, then slam them down. Then he attempts a sharpshooter, and this is where everything goes off the rails. Does it a grand Lund, style? This is the term "grinding halt" gets thrown around a lot, but it really applies to what we're seeing here. As Jerry Lawler appears in the balcony with a live microphone, starts calmly talking so he gets everybody's attention. Brett's distracted because where's that voice coming from? He knows it's Lawler. Lawler makes his way over to where Stu and Helen are at, and uh, he begins taunting them, insulting them. Stu tries to verbally taunt back, and, and Lawler just, just mocks the way he talks. The crowd is now focused entirely on what's happening up in the balcony. The, the match is now secondary. It slowed to a crawl, like New York City traffic at 5 o'clock. It really did, because like he's all the focus was up on on the balcony, and and I found I I know what we were going for, and I get how this is building to a match between Jerry Lawler and Bret Hart, but I just found for a second week in a row Jerry Lawler was just lumbered with these with 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 dueling mic partners who can't fight back. And like he's yes. like, and Stu Hart, I get it, right? Stu Hart, legit hard man. If I met Stu Hart, well, I won't because he's no longer with. But if I'd met mm. Stu Hart while he was alive, he would break every bone in my body, and I would literally just be an eye on a stick. He would destroy me. <laughs> but my goodness, it's like trying to have a co- it's like trying to have a conversation with a, with with a rock, not the rock, with a rock. <laughs> Uh, it's well, Stu and Helen weren't, weren't known for their witty repartee. No, they are. Oh, well, off. gee golly, were they? <laughs> Jerry Lawler hitting him with zingers left, right, and center. And then Stu Hart pulls the mic close and goes, "You're you're a fake king." Great. <laughs> Cheers, man. Yeah, it, <laughs> Lawler had one good line in here where he said that Stu and Helen produced more tragedies than Shakespeare. That was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Uh <laughs> But he was just hitting them with zingers, and it's there's no sport because they're not they they can't fight back. He gives them room to fight back, but they've got nothing. They're so ill prepared for Jerry Lawler just to come along and go, "State are you two? Look at your lad down there. He's rubbish." And I felt like it went on too long. Oh, see, that's that's the point I was going to make here because Brett does try to go after him at one point, but Bam Bam pulls him back in and keeps beating on him. And this is what I took away from it. I get so annoyed by the hackneyed distraction finish that we see today. Somebody's music plays, and the person who is the enemy of that person who has that music is stunned and stupefied and can't do anything, and they stare agape like a blow-up doll until they're rolled up and pinned. Or this is such a trope that this is actually part of WWE 2K19. Mm-hmm. That you can be playing the game and your rival's music hits in exhibition mode. The rival doesn't come out, but the music hits and you are wide open for a roll-up. <laughs> See, I didn't realize that because when I bought the game, I turned the music off because that's just how I am. I, 
I find like the background music annoying on the on the game. Sometimes. Oh no, no there's, there's no background music in when you're fighting, but the the, the oh. so you're fine with that. During the actual <laughs> game, there's no background music, but it's just obviously when a wrestler's music hits. Right, right, right. That's what that's what I'm saying. Wait, I turn the music off so I don't hear the music of the intruder. So okay. I'm like, I'm like, why is my, like, why did my guy just freeze? I'm I'm, I'm trying to punch my opponent, and it's like. Like, oh, there's something going on in the background that, okay, there's a distraction coming. Like, I didn't realize, like, I was, I'm like, this stupid effing game, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a controller down. Like, like, why is my guy not, why is he not moving? My controller <laughs> broken? But anyway, back on point here. We bitch a lot about that, about the distraction finishes and how hackneyed they are, mm. how overdone they are. They're done way too much. But at least they're over in less than 20 seconds. This one, by and far, well, it was much longer than 20 seconds. It's more like it was almost. It felt like 20 minutes, and it's going on. And Lawler's just slagging, still in hell, and he's waiting for Brett to come after him so that he can run off into the night. And this match just goes on and on. And it's a like I don't want to hate a Brett Bam Bam match. I don't want to. They're two of my favorites from this era, but finally, the the, the crowd just taken out of this match completely, and Helen and Stewart are they can't hold up their end of this. Unfortunately, it, it, just being honest here, Brett finally hits Bam Bam with a DDT. Then he goes and jumps the rail to go after Lawler. Lawler escapes. Brett takes intentional intentional count out loss. It was much longer than it needed to be, and the only good part in the aftermath is when Lawler's making his escape. And some skinny fan is is jawing at him, walking alongside him. And the security dude just shoves him with one hand emphatically. It's like, get away. That was funny. That was, yeah, that was, that was, that was devastatingly cheeky. I like that. That was, that was, but that should have happened 10 minutes before. This was the wrestling equivalent of the scene in the first Austin Powers. When Austin and Elizabeth Hurley are in the um, in that golf cart, and they're driving at the guard, he goes no with his hand out, and they're going three miles an hour at him. That's what it is. It's, like, it's just that. It's like you know how it's going to end, and you're, and you're thinking, just get there. It's like we see the finish line, just cross the line, get there, finish it. <sighs> I mean, yeah, you get. I get what they're going for. Lawler's, you know, insulting his parents that Brett has to defend their honor. You're mad at Lawler. You want Brett to kill him now. Even more so. So it did what it was supposed to do, but my God, it would take forever getting there. And that was that. It was... Had Brett managed to get away from Bam Bam first time round, this would have been (laughs) fine. It would have been I better. Agree. But because Bam Bam pulled him back in and they wrestled pointlessly for another 10 minutes. It felt like yes. 10 minutes. It was probably three. Yes. I would say probably about five, maybe, maybe even six. But it, it was way too long, especially because the crowd is not even reacting to the match anymore. They're just watching Lawler verbally shellac the Brett's parents. And you know, they're just watching that. And Brett and Bam Bam are basically taking bumps for no reason at this point because no, no one's watching the match itself. I mean, the cameras aren't even focused on it. You know, they're watching Lawler up, up in the balcony. And it's... 
Right idea, not the best execution. Onward we go to the SummerSlam report, sponsored by Chevy Trucks. Lex Luger likes his. Oh God! <laughs> oh yeah, that was a that was a tedious little connection to Chevy, who are sponsoring SummerSlam. I wish so much that Bill Freilich had just shot that day and slammed Yoko intentionally and then just made off with the truck. It's my truck. I won. <laughs> I don't love that. There was a story. I have, I can't remember who, the, who was involved. I, I read this on the famous wrestling sleeves thread from 2004 about like scummy and shady things that have happened in wrestling over the years, which I'm, I'm sure most of this stuff is just BS and people made up just for humor purposes. But one of them was so funny, and, and I just thought of it. I think Ronnie Garvin was involved in the story. I, I could be totally wrong. But apparently he was in some territory. And he, and there was a battle royal. And Garvin, or, or whoever this was, told the promoter who was in the match that he should put his boat up as the prize for the winner. You know, just to have a visual. Like, the winner gets his boat. Well, the guy won the match, so he wins the boat. And he tried to take the boat for himself. The guy says, well, no, it's just kayfabe. That's for a story. So they went to court. <laughs> And because kayfabe was sworn back then, the person who owned the boat previously had to admit, couldn't admit under oath that wrestling was fake. So he says, "Well, yeah, we had a match for the boat. Oh, so the boat's his then? Yes. Wow. The guy got the boat. <laughs> I don't know. From, I don't want to attribute it to anyone. I, I probably said Ronnie Garvin's name there because it may may not have been him. The story could be complete." BS, but I want it to be real. I can believe it though. I can because this is like from a this is from a golden era where like heels and faces couldn't travel together in case they were spotted. I want it to be true also because that's the best thing I've ever heard. There was there was I'm read I'm currently reading I'm currently reading um I'm sorry I love you by Jim Smallman. Which is mm-hmm. the the book Progress. on history of wrestling, the guy from Progress. It's an incredible book. I love it. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the whole history of wrestling, and he talks about the the plane crash, the one that featured Ric Flair mm-hmm. and other people. And I'm really sorry, but as we speak, the name of this chap escapes me. But obviously, this is the infamous story of a plane ride that a lot of wrestlers took in a in a private jet. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And the plane crashed, and several people tragically died, and but there were others that survived. One of the guys on this plane was was a baby face, and all the others were heels. And this is how much kayfabe was protected there were rumors that this guy this good guy was on the plane and in order to dispel the rumors he rushed back to wrestling after being in a plane crash <laughs> so he could get back into the ring to go i'm fine i wasn't even on that plane as you could see i'm still wrestling he was still Jesus. broken but they were so staunchly defending Kayfabe. Mm -hmm. This guy basically crashed on a plane then then came back about a year too soon and went um, because they were so desperate to hide the fact that he was on a plane with the baddies. They took that seriously and they That's really did. Ridiculous! It reminds me of the story of Killer Kowalski when he accidentally knocked off the ear of Yukon Eric because Yukon Eric had like a, a badly cauliflowered ear. It was going to go with some eventually because it, it was just so worn down that a, a simple knee, uh, Kowalski dropping a knee that grazed the side of his head, you know, knocked the nub off. And people thought Kowalski was this animal for doing it. And he went to visit Yukon Eric in the hospital, you know, just two guys out of character, you know, to see how he was doing. And Yukon Eric was wrapped in bandages around his head, and he, he looked kind of silly. And Kowalski kind of just laughed at the sight of it, just like you know, he looks kind of silly there. And a reporter happened to be there, reported in the newspaper that Kowalski showed up to the hospital to laugh at his victim while he lay in his hospital bed. Oh, <laughs> my days. Well, which actually, it actually adds to the legend of Kowalski you know, to be, be, being this ruthless killer. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty funny, though. It's it, the, the, the lengths people go to protect kayfabe is unreal. <laughs> yeah, it's... On the one hand, maybe you're kind of glad that it's a little more open nowadays, but Stories like that are kind of charming in their own way. But point, getting back on point, I wish Bill Freilich had gotten the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and, take, and take it against the court of it. Damn it, now i got to buy two trucks. We, we can get them cheap. They're a sponsor. No, we had to pay for them. But yes, Lex Luger vs. Yokozuna is now official for SummerSlam. And Luger has to wear a special covering on his steel plate forearm as part of the provisions for getting this match, because he has, in the same way that Brett has a trick leg, Luger has a trick arm, because everyone in this company is bionic. It's like Uncle when Uncle Brett popping his knee out gets boring, Lex gets his, his elbow out. <laughs> Look, kids, I store M&Ms in here. <laughs> so so it's happened. So so in the SummerSlam report, it's happened. We've, we've got the news. Lex Luger... Getting his title shot at Yokozuna. That's great. The call to action worked. Right. We can stop it, now. Uh, I'll bet you never hear about the call to action campaign ever again. <laughs> I hope so. Since the campaign is... It's like, you know, once you unclog the toilet, you don't keep 
plunging it, right? <laughs> that would make sense. I mean, why would you mention it again? There's no need to mention the call to action again. Because the, the, the call to action has been actioned. It's like if you're elected president, you know, you, you're not still campaigning three weeks later. You know, like, you, you're, the, you're the president. That's it. It's like if you find a cure for, for a disease. We found the you cure. Keep Let's keep on looking. No, 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 no. You're done. <laughs> done now. I'll bet they just, you know, you know, bring the bus back, get their deposit back, whatever, and all is done. No more Lex Express. Fingers crossed. Mr. Hughes versus our good friend Russ Greenberg. 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 Who who now follows me on Twitter, I should point out. What? The the, the power of the show. Don't you sass me. Does he really? He follows me on Twitter. He started following me last week. And why? Why haven't we approached Ross Greenberg to be on the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review? We really should. He's a... You're his best mate? Get on that! He is material to the era, although he has his DMs turned off. Wait, wait, does he? No, I can DM him. Slide into his DMs immediately. Man, it's... I'm just going to collect every 1993 prelim guy I can and get him on the show. Russ Greenberg, Shell Apollo, Pete Weeks. If we can somehow find him from whatever hole he crawled into after that unfortunate match. We should collect all of them and put them all on the show and have like a big Q&A. And then make cards like Magic the Gathering, but with with uh, enhancement talent. John? I'm going to make them all... <laughs> I'm going to make them all in 2K19. Oh, yeah, make them a stable. Make the real job squad. The best in the world at what they do. They are the best at being beaten. So Ross Greenberg is going to face Mr. Hughes, and of course Hughes is going to pound the pavement with him. Oh, yes. Hughes has a a very interesting fashion choice here. He has his button-up shirt with black electrical wrist tape underneath. You don't see that every day. And the, another wreath is brought out, this time by future ring announcer Tony Chimmel. It was that. Tony Chimmel. I looked and out I, my brain went, I know who that is. I know who that is. Tony Chimmel. Yeah. Of course it was. I, I knew that shaggy mullet from the back. I know that man. <laughs> this was very much the same as the last Mr. Hughes match. Yes, you know, you're just spoofing the same idea. Hughes destroys the guy. The black wreath is at ringside. Hughes is temporarily off-put by its presence. But really, he's just he's focused on destroying the you know, poor bastard at hand. And he does. Grimberg gets in some token offense to no effect. Hughes gets this nice power bomb at one point. And at this point, while Greenberg is dying a death, that Vince assures us that the, that the Lex Express is still out rolling around. Why? <laughs> Why is he still campaigning? He got the match. That's it. Stop campaigning now. You know it's bad when Roman Reigns is in the midst of his push that a lot of fans resisted, openly resisted, vocally resisted, and people are saying, why doesn't Vince just put him on a bus? That's what the Lex Express, that's how that came off. That's his place in history as a desperate attempt to get somebody over as Hulk Hogan Mark II. 
let's put them on a bus and have them win fans over with public appearances. And the buses will, will be Americanized, red, white, and blue, USA, mom's apple pie. And um, it didn't quite take. <laughs> so Hughes finishes with a scary-looking sidewalk slam. Usually it's pretty fluid. Greenberg, he, he went down a little awkwardly here, kind of bounced. I mean, it looked more vicious. It was Yeah, it was really high. Like, really got some decent hang time from Greenberg. It, it, it looked good in the sense that it looked brutal. And I mean that as, as a compliment. It, it's at this point that Vince gives us the first Raw mentions of WrestleMania, the album. Oh, this is <laughs> exciting. What a time. What a time that we live in. So as Mr. Hughes celebrates his victory, we get a little bit of bants about WrestleMania, the album. <clears throat> which has but done... first, oh, but, go on. but first, I have to get in Bobby Heenan's incredible joke here that he snuck in, and I don't think Vince got it first. I'm not sure you got it since you're from the UK there, but I'll be happy to explain it. As Mr. Hughes is eyeing this black wreath, Bobby Heenan notes that President Bill Clinton likes having flowers on his desk every morning. This is a reference to Jennifer Flowers. Correct. Yeah! Ten points! And he even had to repeat the punchline as they, as they faded out because he wasn't sure Vince got it. I'm like, that's a beautiful line. That was, that was a winner. That was a winner. Well done, Bobby. Well done, Bobby. Very, very nice. The brain is the man. But yes, WrestleMania, the album, Tommy, it was produced in your country. Take it away. Oh, this is an album very close to my heart, Justin. WrestleMania, the album, it went to number four in the UK album charts. And I tell you what, <clears throat> you'd assume that just it was just a wrestling album made by wrestling people. No, no. You had heavyweights of British music in the 90s behind this. You had, mm. producing this album, Michael Stock and Pete Waterman. Two-thirds of the world-renowned Stock, Aiken and Waterman, which is the three people who made the careers of Kylie Minogue, Jason Donovan, <laughs> Bananarama, and everybody's favorite granddaddy of internet memes, Rick Astley. These are the so people have, that built Rick Astley. So we have the people who built Never Gonna Give You Up, the people who built Cruel Summer, and the people who built the world's most beautiful Australian. And you know what? That's not even all. Because also working on this album was Simon Flippin' Cowell. Mm-hmm. From off of American Idol. Simon Cowell never has the right to criticize anybody ever again. It's it's unreal. Like this guy who who so many people's hopes and dreams of becoming a musician like hang in the balance of. This is the guy that produced Hacksaw Jim Duggan's song on the WrestleMania album, which contains the lyrics "Ho USA, you 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 USA." If I had a time machine, and we actually could go back to like the the, the mid two thousands and the Ico Pro powered DeLorean. I would gather a bunch of wrestling fans. I would go to the American Idol auditions in Philadelphia, and we would just sing songs from the WrestleMania album just to annoy Simon. Oh, could you? That'd be so good. I'm surprised no one's done that. <laughs> that would be. <laughs> 
What was the best song on that album? The, was there a good song? The best song on that album, I'm just going to double check that it was on that album. Because obviously everybody knows the WrestleMania song, hashtag uh, <laughs> Linda McMahon's theme tune. Um, when I briefly was a commissioner for a wrestling company based in the West Midlands, I made sure it was my theme music too, just putting that out there. But the best song on the album was actually track two. It was called Slam Jam, in my opinion. Yeah, it had a very Eurocentric, Eurobeat kind of feel to the album. It was it's definitely, if you heard it and you had to guess what year it was, you would have said something like 92, 93. It definitely fits that era of music. But there are some other absolute bangers on there, including Bret Hart's Never Been a Right Time to Say Goodbye. Oh, God, the love ballad. Which oh is Bret the Hitman Hart's love ballad. Which I do believe... Now, please, I want somebody to tell me I'm wrong on this. But I'm fairly sure I'm right. Um, Never Been a Right Time to Say Goodbye was written for Jason Donovan. But he didn't want it. So the obvious substitute is Brett the Hitman Hart. It almost sounds like title-wise. It almost sounds like you're never going to give you up. So we could have had a meme where you got victory rolled. Exactly. Or was it... Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or was it Rick Astley it was for? Which would have made, which made the victory roll made sense. It was either Jason Donovan or Rick Astley who were meant to have never been a right time to say goodbye. I'm sure by now somebody's tweeted me and told me. Um... But it was then given to Bret Hart, which is nice. I think there's a song where Randy Savage recites the planets for some reason. Oh, it was on. It was. It was. They were no. Yeah, it's part of the chorus of the Macho Man song. Was it called "Speaking from the Heart"? It was something like, like that. Get your party jumping. Get your body pumping. He's the Macho Man. Oh, it was. I don't know if that was. A... Yes, speaking from the heart. The bit you're, yeah, the bit you're thinking of is where he just goes off and wants to start mentioning all the planets. Yeah, I know they tried something. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. I'll always be with you. Yeah, the moon, the stars, Venus, Pluto, Saturn. Yeah, looking down. <laughs> I know they tried something like a decade later called Originals. We had wrestlers singing songs, and there was like two good songs on the whole album. Oh, sweet Jesus. That needed Stock Aitken and Waterman and Simon Cowell on. That album was atrocious. Okay, the Dudley Boys song was good because it was like hardcore punk. And it, was, and it was like spoken word threats the whole way. That was fine. Everything else, though. Over Kishi did an okay job with Put a Little Ass on it, I think it was Put called. A little Ass on it. <laughs> well, I mean, Rikishi, it, it was tongue in cheek, pardon the pun, but. Yeah, that was fine. Everything else was like, okay. You, you people shouldn't be singing under any circumstances. But if you do, if you if you can find it, like there's clips of it on you, clips of these songs on YouTube and stuff. Do listen to the WrestleMania album. Went to number four in the UK because we went through a real period where we struggled with like decent music. So that was always going to cut through. But I don't think it even charted in America. I think it bombed in America. Now we were happy with our Skid Row and Belle Biv DeVoe. <laughs> you were topped up. You didn't need it. Yeah, we were. We had, we had our fill. Who else did we have? We had Counting Crows. We had Gin Blossoms. Um, 
who signed me, myself, and I? Was that De La Soul? I can't remember now. De La Soul seems to ring a bell. <laughs> me, myself, and I. Dun, 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 dun. Something like that. Anyway. I do think that had uh, the world been different, and uh, I do believe that it was the release and the success of the WrestleMania album in the UK that, that eventually encouraged WWE to take a gamble on NXT UK. I think that was where the ball started rolling. <laughs> it's like, we have a market here. There's a market here, good. and in roughly 20 years' time, we will launch a promotion in the UK. I think we need to have Pete Dunne sing a song for an album. <laughs> I like to hurt people. I like to hurt people. Break your fingers. I like to hurt people. I'd want to see some very cheery, very flowery producers like, 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 no, Pete, like higher with more energy, and Pete just stare him down. <laughs> Give it more energy. I am giving it more energy. Before Pete gives him ligature marks around his own neck with his tongue, his own tongue. <laughs> Incidentally, I do find, and, and I can say this because I'm I'm from the West Midlands, so I'm allowed to say <laughs> this. I find. Hearing the Birmingham accent on American wrestling sometimes quite jarring. When you hear him going, Ricochet, I'm going to beat you for the North American Championship. It's a bit jarring. (laughs) I can't comment on that. I don't know about dialects all that well. (laughs) I just get mad when when someone uses a stereotypical Joyzy accent and they say, oh, he's from Jersey. Yeah, North Jersey, not down here. New Jersey, it's kind of yeah. You just it's the basic one, isn't it? New Jersey. Yeah, there's the um, Goodfellas uh, slash uh, Sopranos half of New Jersey, and then there's the good half. But anyway, <laughs> I I did write in my notes, "Hey Tom, it's Hacksaw with a bit of exclamation point because <laughs> I, th- I thought of you immediately. You know what? I'm 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 in a good place at the moment, so I'm I'm okay with Hacksaw. <laughs> Ah, uh, good. And, and an even better place because Randy Savage gives Tiny Tim a new ukulele and he pay off the last week's angle. That's it, because because in amongst all this talk about the WrestleMania album, we get like it's 45 seconds worth of um, worth of footage from the album launch party, which features Tiny Tim being presented shirt- with a new ukulele. Not just Tiny Tim, but a shirtless Tatanka. <laughs> it's a weird this launch been some, party. This must been some launch party. This is the launch party. There's uh, now at this launch party, um, you can see extended footage of this launch party on the network because there's that. I think I mentioned it a couple of times on this podcast. Now there is a Lex Luger uh, call to action special on the network where there's loads of B-roll, and there's mm-hmm. this bit. <laughs> there's this bit in it where Lex Luger is at the launch party and he's mind his own business. And Vince McMahon walks up behind him and says, Hey, big man. <laughs> and it's so creepy. It's so creepy. What you don't see is the part where he puts his arms around Lex and then, and then scowls across the room, room at Hogan. <laughs> and, gives him, and gives him the knowing chin lift nod like, Hey, what's up? I don't want to. I don't want to know where he's looking. I'm more concerned with where his hand is. <laughs> hey, big man. 
Oh, it's now, creepy. Now this is real pectoral definition right here. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Where's uh, Gary Stridham? <laughs> okay, enough fun. Back to the wrestling. <laughs> Back to the show. Hey, big man. Watch it. It's, it is the creepy. It's a bit hashtag me too. Single white McMahon. <laughs> Look, Lex, I have my I have my own bus now. <laughs> Get on my bus, Lex. Oh God. <laughs> we have matching American Zubaz. Look at that, Lex. Oh, don't like it. Don't like bad Vince, touch. Vince dyes his hair blonde. <laughs> I can slam your in a too. Oh, but anyway. God, it's all wrong. So. We have Badass Billy Gunn and the winner of the Brawl for All versus Gilbert and Headbanger Thrasher. Or, as was called in 1993, the Smoking Guns versus Dwayne Gill and Glenn Ruth. This was such a nothing match that I have no... The only notes I have are based on a conversation that Bobby Heenan has with Vincent Mann as the Smoking Guns are coming out. Okay. Which is where Bobby Heenan is talking about the WrestleMania album and asking if certain people are on it. Like, and he says how much he likes Burl Ives and Ronnie <laughs> Dove. To which Vince McMahon sarcastically says, oh, that's really contemporary. Which is so ironic, it actually gave me a stroke. <laughs> hey, kids, you like Aria for Speedwagon? <laughs> the man who got Tiny Tim on his show is chastising Bobby Heenan for not being contemporary. You'll never believe what we got from WrestleMania. We got sticks. <laughs> in two thousand, I could believe him saying that in two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> Vince probably would try to book sticks for WrestleMania thirty-five. But we we joke. But this is the man who called a pay-per-view "Great Balls of Fire" in two thousand eighteen. <laughs> it's hip. The kids will get it. They'll get it. It's hip to be square. Oh, write that down. <laughs> Which reminds me, I got to sharpen my axe. <laughs> hey Lex! Ah! Hey big man! Oh god! Oh god! John, Makes John, me really sad. You, John, if you can get me Vince McMahon making the Patrick Bateman like like yelling face, that one famous photo of Christian Bale like yelling as Patrick Bateman kind of anguish, but make it Vince somehow, I'd be very happy. <laughs> John, you haven't been given much to do this week, but you've got one yeah. that's particularly tough. So there you go. It's quality <laughs> over quantity this week, John. Stanford psycho. So I didn't well, I... make any notes on this match because I was ju- it was it just washed over me completely. Well, I got you covered here because my, my favorite part what was a verbal bit early on where Vince is gobsmacked that Savage could be a recording star. Oh, just you wait. Oh my god. Just you wait ten years for an album that I happily paid money for when I was twenty years old. <laughs> and had to show all my friends <laughs> you're not going to believe this Randy Savage made a remember the Macho Man he made a rap album <laughs> and I showed him Be a Man Hawk and we were in tears from laughter <laughs> it's like it's like real life ceased to exist at that point unreal <laughs> it was it was something <laughs> Randy Savage rapping I mean God bless you, Randy Savage. But this match is, um, 
yeah, it's just there, and like the Lawler Bishop earlier, it just went on. Like, okay, yeah, he, he still have some pretty good double team moves, the smoking guns, but it's like you know, hit two of them and then do your finish. They hit like forty of them. Yeah, and Glenn Ruth headbang, the future headbanger thrasher, who's wearing flowery uh, trunks here, he takes the brunt of the beating. He gets finished with the same move they beat him with back in May, which is the backdrop into a pile driver, which was much smoother than last time. They lost the crowd about halfway through. Keenan's just amusing himself with jokes at this point because it's it's a nothing match, as, as noted. The only good part came after the match is when the camera zooms in on the guns celebrating their win. Dwayne Gill runs in from off-camera and gets hit with something from Billy off-camera. So you'd see Gill go fly across the screen at one point without seeing what he was hit with. I assume it was like a forearm to the head or something. But it's just, here's Bart with his arms raised. Here's Gill flying in like driftwood. <laughs> Other than that, it was yeah, it was, it was tedious. It just kind of floated along. There was it just to me, it's like I said, it just washed over me. It didn't really serve any purpose. Like, okay, we know the guns are good. Didn't need that match. It was just it was just the hour two of a taping match that went on too long. So now we come to a vignette for someone who's apparently already debuted because we have match footage here. But it's someone who ha- who have some big implications for future storylines. From Helsinki, Finland, the former Tony Holm, it is Ludwig Borga. Ah, we welcome in, we usher in the Ludwig Borga era of WWF's new generation. For those of you who have never seen Ludwig Borga, picture if Brock Lesnar was shorter, more, more sturdily built instead of muscular, and was a boxer. Because he looked frightening. He was a, he was an intimidating presence. He really was. Mm-hmm. And it was something a bit different when Ludwig Borger turned up. And even from this vignette, which shows clips from episodes of Superstars, where he's just pummeling people like stiff clotheslines and drops and stuff. And it's the, the whole premise is he's just here to fight and he's here to teach respect uh, for Finland to Americans. And it was quite... Different to a lot of other characters that have turned up. It wasn't any wacky gimmickiness. It was just, here's a guy, he's going to kick your head in, he's from Finland. Hey, he was like the Finnish Finley kind of, minus the shillelagh. Finley. I guess it, I guess his arm was a shillelagh based on how hard he hit people. And as Tony Holm, he would go on to have quite an interesting career in politics over in Finland. I can't remember what he – it was like a Senate seat or I can't remember what, what he was over there, but he um, held public I, office. He, he did indeed. I, there's, there's an amazing there's an amazing thing he did during a, uh, a radio interview that caused a lot of issues in his political career. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to read this from Wikipedia. The day after the elections in Finland, Tony Holm referred to President Taya Halonen as a lesbian in a radio interview. Harm stated that if a lesbian can be president of Finland and he can be a member of parliament, anything seems possible. There was a huge uproar ensued <laughs> as President Taya Halonen wasn't a lesbian. Well, that's a problem. <laughs> um, he later apologised, stating he was sorry that the statement had been interpreted as an insult and he had been under the genuine impression that Halonen was a lesbian. Well, that's... Almost defensible. I mean, he he, he wasn't you know, demeaning her. I think yeah. 
No, no, he thought he was doing right, but he just he just assumed that she right. was a lesbian. Yeah, it's like, well, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just like your word. It, it sounds, I can see why that'd be a problem. But So he was quite a controversial figure as a member of Finnish Parliament. But uh, Justin. I'm not sure if you were aware, but Ludwig Borga once fought in the UFC. Really? In May of 1997 at UFC 13 in Augusta, Georgia, he lost via rear naked choke in 56 seconds to Randy Couture. Oh, plucky young Randy Couture. Who, 11 and a half years later, would lose the heavyweight title to Brock Lesnar. Would you look at that? So there's two degrees of separation between Brock Lesnar and Ludwig Borga, and it involves one of the stars of the Expendables movies. That is incredible. So Ludwig Borger's... So who would win then? Brock Lesnar in his prime and Ludwig Borger in his prime. Well, obviously Brock Lesnar. But it'd be a fun fight to watch. I think even the Shamlin corpse of Brock Lesnar could probably beat most people. <laughs> um, Justin, what do you know about Finland? I know it's overseas. Excellent. That's about <laughs> right. It's certainly overseas. Uh, we're going to find out now in a little game I've invented called Finish or False. Finish or False. I've got some wacky facts that are either about Finland or another country. You've got to tell me whether they are Finnish or false. Go for it. Finland is the home of the World Wife Carrying Championships. I'm going to say false. That is actually Finnish. World Wife Carrying Championships? Takes place every July in Sankajavi. If I've pronounced that wrong, I apologize. Where you have to carry your wife over an extreme obstacle course. <laughs> People come from all over the world to take part. The furthest being from Australia. You know, given like given all the couples in WWE that are like actual married couples, they should do a version of that just to see how, how it turns out. I you think yeah, there's some Candace. mileage in that. The network needs filling up with stuff. My money's on Ray Rowe and Sarah Logan. Oh, nice. Yeah, because he's a strong boy. He's a big, yeah, strong I mean, boy. I mean, he could have married uh, Jabba the Hutt. He'd probably still win. Yeah. Wait, what's this? Brock and Sable have entered. Oh, that changed my bet. That's it. We're done. <laughs> just... In Finland, the middle finger is illegal and can result I'm... in a letter from the police and a fine. I'm going to say false. That is false. That is actually in Germany. Are you serious? In some parts of Germany, flipping the bird in public is a no-no. Wait, 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 wait. Of all places. I know. Uh, never mind. I'm, I'm, I'm not going any further. Than that. <laughs> Good <laughs> answer. I, I have half German blood, and it's like, you know, we're, we're kind of a, a decadent people, are we not? It's, anyway. it's, more, it's more a driving um thing if you're if you're seen flipping the bird while driving you can actually be in a lot of trouble i would have gotten a lot of letters based on the number of fingers <laughs> i've given the poor drivers over the years because i have i have at least minor road rage and that's probably uh putting up mildly and finally there are no pay phones in finland i'm gonna say finish that is indeed Finnish. That is true. You will not find a single payphone within the territory of Finland, which is funny when you consider that that's where Nokia comes from. Huh. 
that that is actually very interesting. See, this show is educational. See, now you've learned a thing. I've learned a few things today. And also, America has payphones, but none of them are functional. <laughs> they are they are now wonderful toilets for drunk people and songs yes. by Maroon 5. Yes, they are strictly ornamental at this point in time. Most are now, though. Mind you, Newcastle, <laughs> I would say, has had their payphones upgraded recently, and this is brilliant. So there's payphones with USB charge ports in them. So if you don't want to use the payphone but you need to charge your phone, you can charge your phone. Sounds practical. Love that. 10,000 points. You brought the payphone back. I'm very proud. <laughs> so we have a nice little deft segue here from Vince. You talked about how Borger is not a big fan of America. Apparently a lot of heels in this company aren't anymore. Waiting for Jerry Lawler to go on a communist tirade <laughs> while, pra while praising Mother Russia, even though the Soviet Union fell two years earlier. As we jump into a pre-recorded sit-down interview with Lex Luger. Yeah, we've just had a lot of anti-American sentiment, so we need a all-American palate cleanser. And boy, do we get one! I wish we'd gotten Bill Watts versus Yokozuna or SummerSlam instead. That would have been a lot more fun. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Just for, the, just for the promos. But anyway. So Luger's at one point in his interview, says, I am ecstatic. And he says it in that tone of voice. Like, as if Vince pulled a string on his back and he goes, I am ecstatic. He does not sound ecstatic. He's like the Al Gore talking doll from The Simpsons. Hello, you are listening to me talk. <laughs> and Lex Luger is wearing a call to action campaign button. And I have to ask for any listener out there, if you have this button, please provide photographic proof on Twitter, at me or at Tom, at both of us. I just want to see if these things are actually out there in the world somewhere and who may have one. At JRH Writing, at Tom Campbell, or at Cultaholic. If you have a Lex Luger call to action button, badge, pin, we want to see it. <laughs> just to see if, if more than one was made. I want to see if you were part of the problem. <laughs> yes. And please provide your address so that we may never mind. <laughs> so we can burn your house down. <laughs> Vince, Vince makes sure to note in his ill-fitting jacket that the Lex Express has created such excitement. And, <laughs> and then we get the... <laughs> it's true. Both it hasn't created excitement and his jacket is appallingly fitting. <laughs> it's like he borrowed Bastion Booger's jacket for the day and just rolled the sleeves up. <laughs> He looked a mess. It's like a converted wedding dress dyed black. <laughs> so then we get the best part of the interview, about 38 minutes into this episode, if you want to find this. While the camera's panned in on Luger, and he's given his soulful answers to Vince's softball questions, a stagehand walks in from off camera, sees the camera, and then steps back out of frame. <laughs> It's a lovely moment. It's a bit like that moment when Hawk walked in whilst Vader was being interviewed at the yes. Royal Rumble and, and just immediately backs out of the shot. <laughs> while staring bug-eyed at the camera. <laughs> yeah. All that was missing here was the pie plate UFOs from Play Mine from Outer Space. <laughs> it would have made it a thousand times better. We could look at some of the campaign stops and that's that, because well, Vince just basically asked him, like, 
I want to get to know Lex Luger on a personal level. Like, like, who was your favorite of the banana splits? Was it Flegel? And just, it's like this personality profile that is completely uninteresting. We're getting some real hard-hitting questions soon, though, Justin. It's like, what is the best drug-free sports organization in the world, and why is it the WWF? <laughs> So this was the this was the the Lex Luger sit down interview, and I I've taken quite unorthodox umbrage with Lex Luger, and it's and I don't know whether I I respect this is this is a very personal thing for me, um, mm-hmm. and it resonates in this interview. Lex Luger talks a lot about the amazing turnout for the campaign and all the people that came out to see him and see the Lex Express and be a part of the call for action. At no point, at no point does he thank anybody. And my biggest pet peeve as a human being is people who don't say thank you. I have worked with people in many industries in if I say to somebody, that was great what you did, that was really cool what you did, the least I expect is for them to say, oh, thank you. But I've worked with people where I've gone, hey, that was really good what you did. And they go, yeah, it was. <laughs> no. And the honest, honestly, I'm a pretty passive guy, Justin, and I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty easy to get on with. I'm a fun-loving moron. But my goodness, I hate, hate when people don't say thank you. And I think all Lex Luger needed to do, needed to do, was thank people for coming out to see his stupid bus and hang around. Like, all he had to do was say thank you. Thank you to everyone who came out because of you. Because of you, what will soon be known as the WWF universe, because of you coming out and supporting the call to action, I have got this title match with Yokozuna. Thank you for making it happen. I will not let you down at SummerSlam. That's what we needed from Luger. We didn't get that. We got, like you said, this pull string puppet going, oh, I'm happy with that. Thanks moron i hate luger now more than i did before are you are you saying that if he had said thank you and showed, showed a bit of graciousness that you would have forgiven the fact that he has all the charisma of a plane crash survivor i would have <laughs> he'd have rushed back to work quicker i <laughs> now he's a goodie that's a call back um <laughs> i i do you know what i'd have i'd have not forgotten it but i certainly forgiven it <laughs> because at least because part of part of it should be because you want to create this you are the next Hulk Hogan but you want to create this little bit of a division but and Hulk Hogan was the same one he was like oh my Hulkamaniacs oh, yeah, da, 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 but never thanked him and Luger could be the one that was like thanks everybody thank you none of that oh it made me cross so you're it, saying that all so are you saying that all self-assured baby faces are assholes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it just tapped into it just tapped into something very deeply personal with me, in that I in that I always like people saying thank you, and 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 showing a bit of bit of grace and and humility. And I think I think because the industries I've worked in, mainly radio, 
you you do come across some wonderful human beings and some of my bestest friends I've met doing doing wrestling doing radio some of my bestest friends I've met that way but I've also met some real characters with no humility and no sort of self-awareness of that where I'll go hey that was good what you did and they go yeah it was no don't do that because I'm immediately going <laughs> it's a me thing I'm going to stop now because it's a very me it's a very me problem well Tommaso you know who's <laughs> never you know who's never let us down who go is on. our hero Doink the Clown. Oh, Doink came to the rescue of this episode, did he not? <laughs> he was indeed the glistening bookends that held up the rotting carcass. God bless Doink the Clown and Phil Apollo in your main event for Monday Night Raw. We get a bit before the match where Doink tries to intimidate Themis Clarides, the rather attractive ring girl turned congresswoman. Although she kind of just smiles it off because she's in a different world. I can't blame her, even though it was doing she brushed off. Apollo is wearing Dina is wearing Dina Bravo's sky blue trunks for some reason. Yeah, he very, looked very, a bit he looked a bit Bravo-esque. Yeah, because it wasn't that good of a match. <laughs> oh! <laughs> uh, yeah. Although the best spot match is Doink hitting the AA. That was brilliant. And Doink was John Cena before John Cena. John Cena. That, oh, what a guy. And it's true because as a heel, he was awesome. As a baby face, people stopped liking him. He carried the company, he carried the show on his shoulders the same way he carried Phil Apollo this week. <laughs> and boy, did he put him down hard. Oh, jeepers. Doink keeps glaring at Savage, waiting for the red balloon to float by. You'll float too, Randy. Doink gets some Doink gets some amateur groundwork, and Vince uses this time to talk more about Lex Luger, his new his new American hero. He says Luger be asked a hard question, including about drug use and steroids. I'm sure they were all honest answers. <laughs> I'm on. Yeah, I'm sure they were very very honest. It's at this point, Doink goes up top, hits the whoopee cushion, the flying sit down splash, finishes the match, and continue, and he keeps staring Savage down. We go to commercial, and we're back, and Doink is still out there. He's got the, got the microphone. It's at this point that I notice in the crowd, Linda McMahon is sitting behind Randy Savage. Is she? Look it up, man. I, she was did, not, right there. I did not spot that. While Doink is jawing at Savage, you see her sitting there smiling and laughing, actually. Ah. She was sitting next to some guys in suits, maybe some uh, potential business partners that she was kind of, kind of wooing a little bit. Showing them the show. I don't know who they were, but that certainly could have been the case. So Doink calls Savage out. He wants a one-on-one -on -one match. You know, enough BS, enough jawing at each other. Let's have a match. And then another Doink appears in the ring. And then there's one in the balcony also. And they're all pointing and laughing at Savage. Because he, awesome. he says that uh, next week Randy Savage won't be seeing double. He'll be seeing triple. But then Savage vows to have a little surprise for Doink the Clown. Well, that's it, because Doink, because I, I don't know whether at that point Savage was meant to get on the mic and go, "Do you, am I having a match with you next week? Oh yeah!" But it was very kind of, it was very very cagey in terms of whether or not it was going to be a thing or not. Well, it, there is going to be a match, and I'll tell you this right now: the match is really really good. 
but you'll be off put by how this venue looks because it does not the Manhattan Center next week. Oh, okay. We are taping two two rolls were taped on a Sunday night. They were actually taped the night before this episode here aired, and they went to what what could be. And I, I say this very carefully because I, I have a few fearless candidates in mind. What could be the worst venue that Monday Night Raw ever went to? Oh, I'm excited. This was a this was bargain basement. This is how you knew they were plumbing toward rock bottom, and not because Luger was on a friggin' bus. Well, I but, think that next week, what we'll do, and if you watch the Cultaholic Facebook page. I will put an official question out there at some point next week. I'd like to find out where, if you, you know, and, and what, how you feel about this, Justin. I'd like to find out where the people who listen to this show have been to watch wrestling that's particularly dreadful. I'd love to hear that, sure. I'd like to hear some stories of really bad wrestling venues that you've been to. I can name a few personally. But I, I, I also want to add as a teaser for this. Uh, not only do Savage and Doink have a pretty good match on next week's show, but a certain somebody makes their debut on Raw, oh. and it's a good, and it's a good one. See, I'm more excited about next week's Raw than I have been about this week's. It's it's a better show, just a worse venue. Oh, brilliant! Oh, there is a hook and a tease for you. But that's it. So Monday Night Raw goes off with the the promise hanging in the air of the return to the ring of Randy Savage. And we get a little bit of the WrestleMania music video from the Slam Jam album. Oh, we certainly do. We get a little little cheeky teaser of, of whoa, WrestleMania. Pump it up, pump it up. My gosh. Do look that up this week when you get time. The WrestleMania album. Told, it's, it's on YouTube, no doubt. Everything is now. As Linda told her business partners, that's going to be my song one day. <laughs> that's going to be my theme music when I'm in a coma. Meanwhile, my husband's going to have something that sounds like Rage Against the Machines. <laughs> Whilst he makes out with all the young women on the roster. <laughs> You'll see. It'll be a whole, it'll, it'll be a paradigm shift. <laughs> so that is uh, this week's Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. Doink the Clown <laughs> saves the day this week. Yes, Doink was the, M- the clear MVP of this show on a night that had Bret Hart, Bam Bam Bigelow, Jerry the King Lawler, and... And a shirtless Tatanka at a record release party. <laughs> we haven't, we didn't give enough love to shirtless Tatanka this week. Still undefeated in our hearts. <laughs> he may wear a shirt for those uh, Iger Pro ads, but at a record release party, my God, it's like Studio 54, him and Andy Warhol hanging out. It's hot in there, isn't it? Yes, it is. It gets a little bit, uh, a little bit dry in there, I can imagine. So next week we will we'll pick this up. We'll go to the worst venue in the history of Monday Night Raw, and we will watch Randy Savage and Doink the Clown and a debutant in the WWF. In the time between now and then, if you fancy having a chat with Justin Henry, just tell him what you're up to at JRH Rising. He loves just receiving little bits of admin from your life in tweet form. And I'll tell you what, Tom cannot get enough hacksaw Jim Duggan photos. So if you want to go on Twitter <laughs> at Tom Campbell and to, and to send him. Drawings of Hacksaw, <laughs> things, things that you've done on MS Paint or Photoshop, anything at all. They're just chicken scratch drawings on, on a notepad that you photographed or scanned. Just send them to him. He can't have enough Hacksaw in his life. 
He loves the big bearded guy. You know and, what? And, 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 you know what? You know what? Not even mad. Not even going to stop that. <laughs> You've had this coming for a long time. <laughs> at JRH writing on Twitter, that is Justin Henry. I am at Tom Campbell on Twitter. We are at Cultaholic. We don't need the call to action because the action has been called. Love you. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. (laughs) 